Hey everyone, welcome into Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we're going to be diving into some quotes from Tom DeLong. Uh, with me today, as always, is my co-host, Garrett. What's up, man? Nothing, dude. I'm excited to talk about this. This is something that's been like... Because people... A lot of stuff you hear about Tom DeLong is always hearsay or through the grapevine. He doesn't say... He doesn't... You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't go on a whole lot of shows and shit. Like, he's been on a few now, but it's been years and years. And it's probably like one or two a year, if that. Yeah, I remember when he was doing a bit of a tour a couple of years ago. Had he left Blink? Yeah, yeah. This is just like two years ago or, or so. Okay. It was in the lead up to the release of the last Angels and Airwaves album. He was uh, really pumping that up. And then he <laughs> he did a bunch of interviews where he, you know, he said some pretty... Pretty intense stuff that uh, I'm sure some of the quotes we'll dive into. Uh, first, let's talk about a um, new development that came out today, actually just a few hours ago, uh, related to David Grush. David Grush, who was the UFO whistleblower who testified in front of Congress under oath, basically saying that the United States government has uh, crashed UFOs and you know non-human bodies in their possession and that there's a reverse engineering program going on. Um, yeah, he said this under oath to Congress. Uh, apparently, he gave a speech in New York City to some pretty high-profile people. They're academics and business executives. I'll actually read what the guy said uh, who attended this thing. He posted it on Reddit. I actually had heard myself that Dave Grush had, had done a private thing. I, I'm not sure if it's specifically this one, but I think it might be because I don't. I only think he's done one. So this is what the person said on Reddit who actually went to this uh, presentation. I guess it was by David Grush. There were some pictures put up as well with certain things that obviously had to do with UFOs and the disclosure process. So uh, this is the comment from the attendee on uh, Reddit. Uh, his username is HVBears88. I'm assuming they're uh, our age or my age. You're young, right? You're like 28. I'm like 35, I think. <laughs> That's young, dude. You're young. Oh, uh, well, doesn't feel that young anymore. But anyway, HVBears88 wrote on Reddit, I actually went to a private 60-person presentation with David Grush as the speaker. This was mostly all private citizens, as in professors, lawyers, business people, a few scientists, retired military, current FBI, and other government agency members. In the end, we were allowed to ask questions. Some asked him about this, and what he said was that he was part of an extremely secret program that had figured out how to track and find UAPs in our atmosphere and near-Earth orbit. He said his op-ed will include much more detail regarding this. It was hosted by a Wall Street bigwig and his lawyer friend. It was sort of a small saloon-style talk. David also did it for free, even went as far as to fly into NYC just for this. He had arrived only a few hours beforehand and then left first thing the next day. The idea was to get a group of skeptics and believers from all these different walks of life for a talk regarding David and the things he has said. Most of the people that left had left as believers, or at the very least believed that David was not lying and truly believed everything he said. He also mentioned a few other things that I haven't heard him say before. He was told about a UAP that was in our possession that had a diameter of around 40 feet, but once you went inside, it was the size of a football field. They believed that the object was somehow able to manipulate both space and time. He also said that the object was both using and creating energy that was more than a terawatt when measured, which is an absolutely ridiculous amount of power, something along the lines of 1 billion watts. I don't know if that's right, but that's what it says. <laughs> He also mentioned that he had recently been informed that a U.S. adversary was considering full disclosure to get out ahead of the U.S. and that he passed this information along to the U.S. government. He also alluded to the retaliation that had been taken against him. It sounded pretty terrifying, and he wasn't the only one to be retaliated against. Multiple people involved, not only in this investigation, but also his fellow peers in the UAP task force, such as Jay Stratton, were also threatened. He wouldn't go too much into it since it's an open investigation, but these people pretty much showed him that they could touch him or his family at any time they wanted. He also mentioned that the U.S. has taken part in a fair amount of crash retrievals before 1933. Also, that we wouldn't be surprised by what the NHI look like. They look like the typical gray, and they aren't sure where these beings have come from. 
There's also a chance that they are extra dimensional, but that it could also just seem this way because of the technology they use rather than them being actual extra dimensional beings. Interestingly, he also mentioned how many people know the full scope of the phenomenon and said it was no more than 50 people. But it wasn't clear whether this meant 50 people currently alive or 50 people ever in history. All in all, it was extremely interesting and pretty hopeful for the future of disclosure. This was after the UAP amendment was shut down, and he believes we will know much more in the near future. Apparently, it was the only private, non-government talk that he's done so far. He's extremely smart has an almost unbelievable memory and knowledge about intel laws and other things that have to do with UAP. My opinion is that he's the real deal. Almost everyone left that night fully believing what he was saying, or at the very least that he believed what he was saying as the truth. So either way you cut it, I believe he is telling the truth as he knows it. He also said something about how they track UAP, that it had something to do with a frequency that they can track or some kind of signature. Yeah, man, that's uh, some pretty intense shit. There's some new stuff in there too. And we were just talking last week about whether or not he would be including some of the new stuff in his op-ed. Sounds like he's going to. It's pretty intense. Yeah. the You know, the part that stuck out to me was he actually named the physiology of the alien. Yep. Which hasn't been a trend with him. He's been using vague terms like biologics. I know he said that. Placing a label kind of like renders a picture in your head a little bit. This is a weird one because he's he went under oath. And yeah. I think that's something that's went over a lot of people's heads is like, wouldn't, if he was lying, he would have gotten like cuffs thrown on him, right? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, he's under under penalty of perjury. Yeah, you can be, uh, I guess, convicted of perjury. I, I don't know. I don't really know how it works. So, yeah, it's the, if, you, if you lie under oath, it's against the law and you can't go to jail. Right. You can definitely lose your job and a lot of other things can can definitely be taken away from you. <laughs> like going to jail isn't the only isn't the only concern. I'll just put it that way. So remember when Lou Elizondo came out, the New York Times article came out in the 60 minutes. It, it was something that really brought a lot of attention to this topic. And then pretty soon after you saw the spin. You saw the spin come like I think in Elizondo's case it came from the Pentagon. We did see a lot of weird things being said about these guys, like, and where they've worked and, like, people calling into question their military service and a lot of shit that is, like, really horrific to do on a day-to-day basis. You know what I mean? Like, calling someone's military service into question is, like, very distasteful. It is not, you know, like, I don't, I think that goes without saying. But the thing with these guys is the, the things they were working on appeared to be so classified, they aren't even legally allowed to talk about some of these things. It was interesting to see the pushback that they gave Elizondo and how they described his roles and like how they tried to make it seem as though he wasn't a credible person. You know well, what I mean? They still do it to this day with the semantics. Yeah, for sure. Semantics for, and- for sure. There's still a spin, but it's once you know that it's happening, it's kind of easier to understand. You know what I mean? Like yeah. once you can identify it, it's like, oh, this is another like hit piece. This is, and we saw it with Grush. You saw it pretty soon after he started talking. We saw things that nobody would have known otherwise, unless they had been tipped off. And uh, you saw a little pushback, and he even started saying he was like, "They're demonstrating to me that they can touch me whenever they want." It's it's interesting to see the dance of person says something. Where's the spin? Is this person not credible anymore? Is uh, what's his name? Ken Klippenstein going to fucking write a mean article about him now? He admitted that he was sent a tip from old super Christian Intel people. Oh, that's right. It was like the college alumni, right? Yeah, exactly. They, they were, went to the same college that was like a super, super Christian school. They basically are the ones who give him his stories. Uh, it was obvious as hell that these, you know, old Christian Intel guys, and he admitted this like on friggin', you know, live stream, they tipped him off to where to look for um, these police reports that would paint Grush in a negative light, even though it was, you know, he had PTSD and it was a you know result of the trauma he experienced during his service. So it's it's pretty wild that like all this stuff is basically out in broad daylight. It's retaliation. It's what the ICIG is investigating, but they're doing it in public and it's out there for the entire world to see. Any sort of uh, discrediting of people like David Grush or anything like that, I mean, it's right there. And the fact that people still take it and run with it is uh, just shows that a lot of uh, individuals aren't really 
partaking in this conversation in good faith. Oh, I agree with that. <laughs> Dude, imagine the fallout if they find out there's the someone uh, threatening people. They can show that crazy shit's happening. Sometimes it does like rise up to the surface and eventually like it's undeniable and they have to address shit. And I wonder with this grush stuff, if they're going to have to like say something about how like people are getting killed or threatened or whatever, even the rumors about it, I, the PR about this has to be a nightmare. You know, like, how do you fucking handle this? You can't even admit it's real. And then, you know, there's a possibility that there's foul play. That's the thing that gets me is like, who's even in charge of the foul play? That's the thing where I feel like people are the most crossed up is where they're pointing their finger ultimately of like, who's covering this up? I know we're going to talk about shit Tom DeLonge has said, but like, that's one thing that like really combing through all of his interviews he's given that's one area where I was like, really like, I feel like I have a kind of grasp on how to answer that. I think I didn't realize how much was like going over my head because when you listen to one of these interviews, it's like three hours long and he says so many things. So you're like, my God, it's exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. And then you try to like remember and tell your friend like, hey, listen, if you listen to that Blink-182 guy give an interview, like, <laughs> well, you, rattle, it, you rattle off a list of like the most like out of control. Service like, <laughs> brought, brought it down. Like, yeah. and they're like, okay, well, uh, that's where like, I feel like a lot of people are at with shit that he said and how they picture him when he talks about this subject. Yeah. And my favorite part of listening to these interviews is listening to him describe these like pivotal years. Ga- I guess you would call him gathering his advisors and like how he like would go to like some aerospace meeting for a birthday party or something like how he was just like gaming who he was as a celebrity. And I, I don't blame him for doing that. Like I'd do the same shit if I could. I would try to fucking find out everything you could know, you know, and a lot of these guys, at least the way it sounds in these stories is a lot of them end up having either they themselves were a fan of Blink or Tom or someone in their family really was. Also, Tom's brother was in the Navy kind of a lifelong military guy. So I think that also helped him get in the door. I don't know specifically anything that actually happened, but I imagine that would be helpful in trying to navigate and potentially meet people who could give him information or introduce him to other people who had that information. Yeah, his brother's an interesting one because he doesn't talk about him a whole lot, but I have seen him in uh, performances. I know there's the Angels and Airwaves song. I think it's called Distraction. And a lot of the time, apparently in concerts, he'll dedicate that song to his brother. Something I, I notice about him is he's real interested in like things having meaning, motivating people to go. Like at the end of the Jimmy Church interview, when I listened to that, he, he kept even Jimmy Church kept saying, he's like, listen to this interview. <laughs> Mark his words kind of thing. But no one takes them seriously. And that's the thing is um, even like this podcast is something I wanted to do and have it be a little more casual is that. He's the kind of guy who, like, I want to listen to talk about this. As much as I love, you know, hearing scientists speak about the phenomenon and certain things and, you know, people who are really read into this. And as much as I love and appreciate the contributions of, you know, academics in this field and how vital they are to moving the subject forward, there's also, like, 95% of the population who's not an academic. I know it's probably more than that, but these are going to be conversations that we're having on a very basic everyday level with our coworkers, with our family, with our friends, hopefully at some point because of David Grush and you know people like him who hopefully will be stepping forward. Like These are conversations that are going to be not had with only academics like this isn't going to be strictly like a string theory uh, debate or something like that like this is this affects humanity as a whole it affects every class every race every every aspect of every culture is going to be touched by what happens or it's going to be affected by the presence of of something that's non-human you know living alongside us or wh- whatever the case may be or owns us 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, it keeps us in a pen quarantined in this section of the universe. But you know what I mean? Like, like this conversation needs to be had by everyone. I guess my point is Tom is the kind of person I can look at and be like, okay, this guy is like speaking to me on my level. Like I'm not being talked down to. I'm not being told to look up these fucking formulas or like we're just having a discussion an everyday conversation. It's not a peer-reviewed study that I'm trying to publish. That's how it's going to be for the vast majority of people who are trying to process this as as we go forward. And that's why I like what Tom has to say. It's because he says it in a way where we can kind of discuss it and be like, yeah, man, that's fucking nuts. But it can still, there's still substance to it, I guess is my point. I know it sounds corny, but a lot of this shit does get corny when it starts to get a little abstract because like a lot of his message just ends up being that we need to like elevate our shit. I guess elevate your consciousness would be the way that (laughs) elevate your shit, elevate your shit, man. I think (laughs) I think the best way to describe it would be like uh, a lot of the time when he's talking about these ideas or these topics, he circles back around to love being so powerful. All this shit is all about is about love. There's still other parts. We might be property, but also love. (laughs) Because I love my car. (laughs) That's a good way to put it, too. A 2014 Mazda 3. I love it. It's a hot car. Yeah, man. The (laughs) V2. Wait, that's a German. Okay. I didn't even mean it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, I guess what 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 separates us like living beings from from other consciousnesses in the universe is love and the ability to have emotion, have a, have a feeling of something that we know is there but can't be measured and have some sort of connection to the universe that potentially other kinds of consciousness, like whether it's AI, yeah, more artificial ways of life might not be able to connect on that same level or frequency, I guess is it's what he says a lot. So I think that's kind of the main, the main point he's making when he says it's about love is that it's, it's a very human thing that kind of makes us unique in the universe not to get corny but <laughs> well, it does when you talk about the love stuff it does get corny yeah. because it is like uh, and that's when people brush it off <laughs> well that would be my number one th- if i not that i'm fucking doling out advice but like if i were to try man to man or person to person to say like yo tom i think this works this doesn't you got advice for tom he was riffing, dude, but I feel like you're going to agree with me. I don't know, but he was, he was talking, telling cool stories, like saying like, oh, dude, in a lab, they wrote love and it made the water freeze into a beautiful crystal. And then they wrote hate and it was all gelatinous blah. You know what I'm saying? And then yeah. he kept talking and he said something about like, uh, he was like, I think that love might be gravity. And I was like, what? And he's like, the most crazy thing we don't understand, but it's still something that like brings us together. And I was like, bro, what? I was like, you can't say love is gravity and have a scientist or a physicist take that seriously. I'm going to fucking tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> I I get that, man. I get that. Think get about what? it. Think love about it. Love is gravity? Think about it. Think about it. I did, and I got a headache. Gravity like, is the only thing that touches everything in the universe. Okay. And where is okay? So this is where this is where the crux of the shit, Tom. The way Tom talks about the universe is when I look at our universe, I look in the official version of the universe. That when we it's get. the official, the official version, U.S. Is, government is, version of the universe. It's in my opinion, it's the Carl Sagan pale okay. blue dot version where we're very lonely and we're very, you know what I mean? Like it's why? Very, um, why is that your version? There's no, we haven't ever gotten concrete evidence of anything. Like this is, this is the like one of the pivotal things that like I feel like motivates why Tom says some of these things is because the way he describes it is he says the universe is teeming with life. 
I've heard him say that phrase multiple times in interviews. And this is something we've talked about before on this show. And it's like some people talk about constantly. We've had rumors and we've had like, uh, I know they got excited in the 90s. At one point, there was a press conference and they thought that a meteorite or an asteroid or something had remnants of what could be like microbial life. And even then we were like empty handed. So a lot of people have a sour taste in their mouth when it comes to the prospect of finding life elsewhere. Even though we know with like our extremophiles and crazy life that's here on our planet that there still exists a possibility there's life in a bunch of different spots. Like there could be life on Europa. There could be life on Mars potentially. Like the, all these UK scientists for their New Year's uh, predictions for 2024, they're all, they're all basically saying we're going to find evidence of um, biosignatures in an exoplanet. There's a paper coming out that's going to say that. Oh, I saw that. There's been a lot of interest in exoplanets. Yeah, and it's lately. interesting that like it's the UK, like all these UK scientists, like people in the US aren't really talking about it. <laughs> it's it's bizarre. But uh I, I actually think it's interesting and I'm excited to see how that turns out. But I think this year we're definitely gonna get like strong evidence. And this and these are I'm I'm quoting like uh like actual scientists that are in the know and know like the stuff is going through like peer, the peer review process right now. And they're probably working on it, honestly. And they're, and they're seeing evidence that's convincing. <laughs> basically saying that that's going to be proven. So I know they've been, that rumors persisted since like, even before they put Webb out, right? The James Webb Space Telescope. I remember when they first put that into, uh, I guess you'd say commission, like they first started using it or activated it or whatever, got it into its spot. Well, the CIA's had a James Webb telescope out there for like 20 years. What do you mean? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't it Hubble? Hubble was like the shit. My point is that the CIA like basically goodwills their fucking telescopes to like the NRO, (laughs) 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 who, who then like donates it to NASA. And then like we get the scraps. It's like ridiculous, but it was a joke. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's a hand-me-down fucking telescopes. Yeah, but, dude. Uh, I wonder, my understanding was that Hubble was like the pinnacle until James Webb got activated and then lit that shit up like a Christmas tree when they turned that on. I know that was kind of corny too, but that was something that was really exciting to me. This is an everyday person, just like the first and ongoing images that come out from James Webb were way different than the images that I had growing up as a kid. And I feel like even just in a couple of months, we take it for granted. There's a James Webb uh, telescope feed. It puts out like every single picture from every paper. Where, on X? It's uh, jwstfeed.com. I guess it's almost like an RSS feed that pulls in from like Mastodon and all these sites. And yeah, basically displays every single picture that comes from James Webb, even if it's not like touched up or anything. And you can filter it by that. But um, James Webb has been really, really, really cool. Has surpassed my expectations for like just how interested I'd be in it. It's it's beautiful. There's, there's nothing else to uh, to really describe it. We live in a beautiful universe. We're just getting corny as fuck, aren't we? <laughs> we live in a beautiful universe. That's the thing, dude. Is like, look at the whole panel of to the stars of all these advisors that Tom has acquired and all these like friends he's made and shit. All of these people, in a certain way, have like been touched by this information. And look at how they behave. Like Tom behaves like he fucking went to Disney World. You know what I mean? Like he talks about the universe with like a sense of wonder that you really don't see nowadays. He even talks about like like parasitic entities feeding off our negative energy. Like yeah, it's like it's it's a fucking Candyland game. Yeah, he said there's like (laughs) something about like amoebas the size of Jupiter. And a lot of these quotes that we comb through, I feel like to give people if they because I know this is something we like to talk about with books is we like to like name the book, name the author, name the year it came out and stuff like that. Tom DeLonge doesn't have a ton of interviews, but like out of the ones that he has given, he's given ones like I know people know the Joe Rogan one. That's a really famous one. I don't know if people know this, but there's an app coast to coast radio a lot of these people that we discuss on this podcast go on coast to coast radio and have long forum interviews and tom's long is one of those people and he has like 
four or five, I think, like long interviews on Coast to Coast. I think they're all with George Knapp. And uh, those are where you find like the secret machines type interviews, like with his co-authors, A.J. Hartley and Peter Lavenda. They give like uh, dual interviews with George Knapp. That's really cool. Jimmy Church has a great interview with him. And then uh, we have, uh, he's been on a couple of podcasts. Like I think he's been on Kurt Chimungle's show, Theory of Everything. And uh, he's also been on Steve-O's show. So that like, was like the best. That one was crazy, dude. It was <laughs> it was great. I think all of those, like I as as I was rattling those off, I was like, honestly, that's a good time is going down that rabbit hole if you're like interested in this. This is like making my point for me that I was making before is like Tom is the kind of guy I want to hear talk about it because he's so excited about sharing information. And I feel like people should be excited about sharing information with each other and having these conversations and talking about how I'm just being fucking corny again. All right, go. Sorry. Dude, but the thing <laughs> is, is like, this is the thing. We have to explain the whole story with him. Is like Blink-182 was balling. And he was like, I'm not doing this. Still is again. Yeah, it's they, they just went on a world tour, I think, and like crushed it, filling stadiums. And it's not a surprise because that band put them in a place to like, be beloved. They're like a beloved household band and group of guys. Mark Hoppus, Travis Barker, Tom DeLong. People all across our country love these guys. So anyway, Tom DeLong left the band, starts his own side project. I think Angels and Airwaves, his like little side band experiment, I think that started in 2006. He the other thing with him was like when he talks in these long form podcasts, you hear him talk about how he worked as celebrity to get some of these contacts. And I don't see anybody else in the world doing that the way he was and in an intelligent way, the way he was like when people hear about celebrities being interested in aliens, you know what fucking people have said to me, they go, Oh, like Demi Lovato. Yeah, I was going to say. And like, I'm like, fucking no, dude. Not like Demi Lovato. Because Demi Lovato, <laughs> no hate to Demi Lovato, dude. She's a really sweet girl, really talented person. But like, you could tell that guys like Stephen Greer just like scooped her up. And were just kind of used as like good PR for Stephen Greer's program. You know, whereas Tom DeLong was like, I'm going to fucking fly wherever I want, talk to whoever the fuck I want. You know what I mean? Like if I want to have a meeting with someone, I'm going to go have a meeting with them. It's not like I need to keep asking permission to do this shit. I am like in a position where I can actually go out and do these things myself. We need to get fucking Taylor Swift on board, dude. She'd bust this shit open. <laughs> if oh Taylor God. Swift, who, well, who, she's got to date somebody in ufology. That's why we got a, a bunch of young girls watching NFL football this year. We got to get Travis Kelsey. Yeah, we got to get Travis Rita. Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, someone someone get Travis Kelsey, um, American Cosmic or some shit. Do his favor. All right, keep going. Sorry. Okay. Here's from a 2016 Instagram post of DeLong. He says, I landed on the tarmac, walked off the plane, and met a smart and fit man in his 60s. Never seen a multi-star general before, let alone talk to one. He led me to a table in the back of a large room. He leaned across the table and said, it was the Cold War, and we lived under the very real threat of nuclear war every day. And somewhere in those years, we found a life form, I said, sir, I need help telling young adults this story. He said, what do you need? Advisors, I responded. I need high-ranking advisors in the military, intelligence, and DOD to help guide me. So I was given 10 advisors, each with knowledge in different areas that pertain to UFOs and the very real national security issues associated with them. I do wish the press would ask me about this rather than write stupid headlines about aliens. I've been given a gift, the ability to tell you all our biggest secret. It will come in books, feature films, and documentaries. It's called Secret Machines. I think that was a fucking great way to sum up yeah. that, that uh, interaction. They found a life form. And then in later interviews, dude, he says, maybe maybe I should amend that in an interview with George Knapp. He asked him about that statement. And he says, I might, we might want to make that plural and add yeah. an S to that, life forms. So what the fuck? So that's one to <laughs> chew on for folks. 
Yeah, that's wild. What do you think they found? Even going back to like what Dave Grush said that we just talked about where he says like people wouldn't be surprised by how how these things look physically. Um, I do think it's something similar to a gray. That's just been a general, you know, sci-fi trope forever. Sure. Even Phil Corso said that silhouette was the shape he saw. But I find his use of the term life form. I mean, even, uh, you know, the Angels and Airwaves, their latest album was called Life Forms. So it's like, it's definitely a word that he used intentionally or that he, he interpreted that general who I guess was McCasland, right? That's what I think. Yeah. So he, he definitely means to use the word life form very deliberately. And that also kind of brings to mind what Dave Grush said is the word biologics. We didn't find a body. And you could see also how Dave Grush kind of skirts around it where he's like, yeah, usually when there's a crashed airplane, there's pilots. It sounds like it's something that we wouldn't finds in a biosignature is the kind of uh, vibe I get when they, when they say life form. And it also ties in with what Tom has said, you know, a million times about a different kind of consciousness. And if we're talking about grays, they are known to be drones or some kind of biological robot. That's the lore. And if we're going based on Rush saying you wouldn't be surprised what these look like based on the lore and the quote unquote core story. It would make sense that that a life form would mean some sort of biological robot as opposed to like a body. To circle it back to Tom DeLong, is that something he specifically talked about with Joe Rogan? Is he asked him about AI and he asked him about what this exactly was. And he he made the comparison to how we cloned sheep. And he was saying that like these creatures know that space is very big. So they clone a creature that can just be well adapted to travel through space. That Just that idea is like, doesn't seem that far out. A lot of these things by themselves don't seem that far out, but like, it seems like in their entirety, it becomes real difficult to swallow. Like, again, that statement, the universe is teeming with life is like, man, that's going to be something else. Like the standard of evidence, I feel like is going to be pretty high for that. If groups are making an effort to disclose these things, that they're doing their due diligence to make sure that they're not incorrect or excited. And the phrase non-human intelligence or the term non-human intelligence also seems very deliberate to me in the same kind of way where they're not saying aliens or beings. It's an intelligence, which it could encompass something like AI. Tom has also said it's an it's a very ancient AI um, has been here for a very long time, potentially longer than us. So if there's been something that's been living here and is artificial in some kind of capacity, it probably would have learned how to disguise itself, probably had a finite point to where like, you know, it would be able to do so for for only a certain amount of time until potentially another race like the human race became technologically advanced enough to detect it. I I would think that a technology is only (laughs) as good as the civilization that built it. I mean, you know, AI can learn and that kind of thing, but I think there there might have been a certain point to where it couldn't camouflage itself from our technology because our technology had, had gotten advanced enough to where we kind of surpassed their camouflage in a way. And that kind of ties in with what Elizondo has been saying and other and pilots and especially Ryan Graves has said a bunch of times that, you know, they only started seeing these things once they upgraded their radars in their test fighter jets, basically. You know how they talk about signature management? And that's like a big part of this and how they how they track these things. Sure. Um, Potentially, we could have we could have cracked that eventually. And maybe it's just now radars and that kind of thing are seeing these things or at least a version of these things. And they've, they've just been here forever. And only now can we detect them. One of the interviews I was last listening to was when. He it was Tom DeLong, Peter Lavenda, and they were talking to George Knapp, and they were talking specifically about the Greek gods. I know people have 
talked and like even Diana Pasolka was like, it seemed like that really piqued her curiosity into Tom DeLonge. And she was like, oh, I didn't know Tom DeLonge mentioned the Greek gods and how they may be still with us in some way, shape or form. He was talking about how this particular group that we regard in our myths as the Greek gods is how this one particular race of alien started showing itself to mankind around this time of ancient Greece or around the time that they like began creating this myth. He was mentioning how multiple different uh, advisors were telling him from different areas of research were telling him like, hey, look into this Greek God stuff. Hey, and Tom DeLong gets that information. And he said that like a lot of it was going over his head. He didn't really know what to make of it or what these stories were like actually trying to tell us. There seems to be multiple different groups, right? And in these interviews, he makes it sound like these groups side with different groups throughout wars or that they're motivating wars. And that he's when he was talking about the Greek gods, he was talking about them like in a very positive way. I feel like he was saying that like uh, this group was like helping humanity. And then there's other groups that were like, uh, jealous of mankind or jealous of what mankind is to become. I was real curious about everything he specifically said about World War II, the Cold War, Italy, Germany, all that type of shit I wanted to hear about because Tom DeLonge gives very different answers on a lot of these subjects. Like when he was asked what Roswell was, he said that he thought Roswell, this is on Joe Rogan, he said that he thought Roswell was German from Argentina or made in Argentina and it had the hallmarks of reverse engineered uh, UFO technology. And that was like, whoa, okay, well, who else out there says that? Not a whole lot of people if you like really try to investigate that. And that's one of the reasons he sticks out is because a lot of this shit about these rogue groups of like fascists after World War II that we talk about on this show, that's something that's like historically really swept under the rug. It's like a real black eye, in my opinion, on the United States history. So this is one of the things Tom DeLong said, I think this was in a coast to coast interview. He says, I think that there have been events throughout time to change the course of civilization on purpose. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I even think that certain crashes happened before World War II because these beings have the ability to travel through time and they all started showing up before that war, probably to give technology to differing sides. I think it's going on today. I think it went on 70 years ago and I think it went on long before that. And I think it will continue to go long into the future. That's pretty fucked. I just wanted to read this quote from Jacques Vallée that I think really kind of tells the story of um, to the stars and just what they were trying to do. Because I know Thomas said the Vallée was kind of like their North Star, or at least for him. It's a it's an interview he did with like Fear Magazine back in the seventies. I think I've always really really liked this this quote of his. Um, I'm just gonna read it real quick. I've always been unhappy with the argument between those who believe UFOs are nonsense and those who believe they are extraterrestrial visitors. I don't think I belong in either camp. I've tried to place myself between those two extremes because there's no proof that either proposition is correct. I've come up with the control system concept because it is an idea which can be tested. In that sense, it's much closer to a scientific hypothesis than the others. It may turn out there is a control system which is operated by extraterrestrials, but that's only one possibility. There are different kinds of control control systems, open ones and closed ones, and there are tests you can apply to them to find out what kind of control system you're inside. That leads to a number of experiments you could do with the UFO phenomenon, whereas the other interpretations don't lead you to anything. If you're convinced that UFOs are extraterrestrial, then about the only thing you can do is to climb a hilltop with a flashlight and send a message in Morse code. People have tried that. I know, but it doesn't seem to work very well. The control system concept can be tested by a small group of people. You don't need a large organization or a lot of equipment. You can start thinking about active intervention in the phenomenon. If you think you're inside a control system, the first thing you have to do is look for what is being controlled and try to change it to see what happens. My friend Bill Powers proposes the following analogy. Suppose you're walking through the desert and you see a stone that looks as though it was painted white. A thousand years later, you see another stone of similar appearance. You stop and consider the matter. Either you can forget it 
Or if you're like me, you can pick up the stone and move it a few feet. If suddenly a bearded character steps out from behind a rock and demands to know why you've moved his marker, then you know you found a control system. My point is that you can't be sure until you do something. Then you realize that what you were seeing, the thing that looked absurd and incongruous, was really a marker for a boundary that was invisible to everybody else until you discovered it because you looked for a pattern. I think that's exactly what we have to do with UFOs. We have to do something that will cause them to react. And I don't mean building landing strips in the desert and waiting out there to welcome the Space Brothers. I hesitate to be too specific. I'm speaking, as I'm sure you understand, of the attempted manipulation of UFO manifestations. It's a pretty tall order. We're assuming there's a feedback mechanism involved in the operations of the control system. If you change the information that's carried back to that system, you might be able to infiltrate it through its own feedback. Jesus. <laughs> Ballet in the 70s. <laughs> I find that fascinating. You have to do something that will cause them to react. That might be exactly what the military is worried about. Well, yeah, dude, even in that line from the advisor, he says, look at what potentially happened to people who did not obey. And not obeying is a lot different than finding out they exist. Like, it's not like the advisor said, well, in previous civilizations, they found out about the UFOs and then they were toast. Like, that's not what he said. He said the previous civilizations and he rattled off a few extinct human civilizations that we know of. And he says, these could have been examples of those who did not obey. I'm like, what does that mean? So when do we find out like, what is the line or what is the catalyst to where we make that choice to obey or not? That's a good question. Like, where does that, where does that happen? This is something that John Keel said in his later, later years. There's an old, old interview. I think it's from 2003 of Keel. He's talking about what we're talking about right now. And he says, basically what it amounts to is that somebody runs everything and we don't know who it is. And when they die, they won't even have their name in the obituary. And they're out there probably from some penthouse looking down at all of this, just going, geez, look at what a big mess this is. But essentially, um, and I'm paraphrasing, it wasn't the exact quote, but what Keel was hinting at was that like a lot of the problems we face collectively as a culture, if we are owned as a species, like Homo sapien is like the project of some other super advanced civilizations. And we are uh, constrained in some sort of control system like Valet alludes to. We're going to discover that in potentially a few different ways. The way I think that it's potentially going to happen for us, would it would be uh, integrally tied into war and it would be tied into how we treat other groups. It has to be. When I'm and I'm speculating, but it, I think that it's going to be tied into those things and it's going to be an active choice of us as a species to stop going to war or at least stop going to the war the way we have with bullets and missiles and swords and spears and shit. It'll we're we would have to like choose to tame ourselves, tame, tame our monkey brains. How's that going to happen? I'm just spitballing, but it could either happen through like uh, cultural changes that we like enforce it, or it could be by like genetic, like we could figure out genetically potentially what genes give rise to like criminal behavior. And then we live in like, what's that movie called? Mirage Men? I don't think it's Mirage Men. That's, that's Rick Not Dirty. Mirage Men. Rick Dirty. No, no. <laughs> that's funny. What movie am I thinking of with the precog people? The uh, There's like pre-crime where they arrest you before you even commit a crime. Oh, I don't know. What movie is that? I forget. Oh, it's going to drive me nuts. Mirage Men 2. <laughs> it might be. Minority Report. That's what it was called. All right, here's a top quote. I think there's a huge race to see what's up there. He's talking about the moon to see what this phenomenon has left or is doing. And I think it's just a big secret. It's like you said, it's part greed because I do think some of these guys go through the corporate channels and create revenue. But I also think that the stuff is so powerful and there's never an end. It's not like they reach the end. They said, okay, we figured out anti-gravity. We've used it for 20 years. Now let's tell everybody. I feel like every time they have a breakthrough, there's 50 other things. They're like, oh my God, what about those things? 
It's like never ending. And now each country is doing that. And I don't think it's about ratting us out. I think they're on their own race and they don't want to. They don't want us to know what they've got now. Damn. There's got to be a little of that going on for sure. If there's crashes in different countries, you know, every time that happens, the country's got to snatch it up and just go underground and pray to God no one saw. (laughs) Yeah, and then you got to wonder, like, there's 50 other things past anti-gravity. So, like, what else could this technology provide that would be more than free energy? Immortality? Is that it? You know, it's is it life extension technology that comes with this? Because you, you hear about encounters where people get healed of like really gnarly diseases and just illnesses that they've had forever. All of a sudden they're miraculously cured. And that could be the source of like healing story, like miracle stories from religions and stuff like that. So if there's some sort of, um, you know, healing or life extension technology with this stuff, that that's also where I see the people involved in this, like not wanting to give it up and being like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, like my precious kind of thing. Yeah, I could see that 100%. And not even in a sinister, for a sinister reason. It's a legitimate concern. If there's a button you can press that makes it to where people just stop dying, would you press that button? I know that sounds fucked up. Like everyone <laughs> at some point, I'm sure, thinks like, oh, that would be cool or interesting if someone could live forever. But like in the big scheme of things, like death is kind of a part of life. I don't know. The older I get, the less afraid I am. Some days I'm more than others, but like that is something that seems to be like a inherent human fear is the fear of death. Like it seems like other animals don't really know that they're going to die. And I think that's something that's very, if we're talking about humans and what makes us unique, knowing that we're going to die and dealing with those feelings is like pretty fucking profound. Like, that's one of the most human things that, in my opinion. So that's what we have to say to Elizondo if he ever asks that question. He's like, what does it mean to be human? We'd be like, (laughs) to die, to die, Lou. It means to die. (laughs) He'd be like, holy shit. (laughs) What if every other animal, like, remembers reincarnation except for us? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) What if they all know? They all know about the cycle, except for us. We we don't know if we survive or not, but everyone else is like totally fine. <laughs> oh, that would suck. Not really. <laughs> I, I mean, know. I guess I guess the uh, if you were to hit new game, I guess you'd probably pick human. Yeah. What if we knew that there was a cycle? That's that's like the scariest question. Oh yeah, that's a scary one. How would people react? There's an episode of Family Guy like that where yeah. I, th- I think in the episode nobody dies, like death takes a break, and <laughs> society collapses in like two days. Yeah, <laughs> it's not even when they first start realizing something's off, then the whole thing just shit hits the fan. It's an interesting thought experiment, man. I know. It's, it's be a hell of a year. You know when Lou talks about mankind's right? Yeah, it kind of is confusing a little bit because he says, um, you know, you don't need two arms or two legs and a head and whatever to be like, that's not what makes us human basically. So you think about that and it's like, okay, if he's not talking about like other hominids or humanoids, whatever the fuck, it's kind of like, what, what is he talking about that? He also in that same spiel talks about how, uh, people who are like missing part of their brain still like have consciousness. They're still like human that their brain still works. Basically like you can get a big part of your brain ripped out and, um, you know, still basically be like a functioning conscious human being with a personality. Right. The universe is indeed like holographic and the brain is like a holographic processor that that could explain it because like one small piece of, you know, the holographic film contains all the information for the hologram regardless. Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite parts of that Ishtak Bentoff book we talked about yeah. um, is that he makes that point. And biologists make that point with cells in our body is if you have our DNA, you can make the entire organism. Exactly. You have yeah. all of the pieces there. So, yeah, keep going. I'm enjoying listening to you. Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, um, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got. Uh, but, yeah, that's... Um, I don't know, the holographic universe series, it really explains a lot when it comes to the paranormal. How It, it explains the collective unconscious. It explains bleeding into other, 
dimensions and that kind of thing. It's uh, the idea that other information that's within our total human frame of reference could could appear. And it's just so weird and dreamlike and bizarre, but it's still like something that we understand because it's still part of that information of the universe. We're just our processors just letting other things leak in that, you know, we wouldn't normally um, because of whatever reason, either we're in a weird geomagnetic area or we're on psychedelics or we have an OBE or a near-death experience. I think that encompasses all that stuff. And I, I really like the idea of the holographic universe, even though it's like almost simulation-y. Yeah, I find it really interesting that David Grush fucking <laughs> talked about it in the context of UFOs in front of Congress. That was wild. Yeah, dude, and it, only more is coming. Like that op-ed is coming out in probably a few weeks, I would guess. God only knows what's on that, dude. Yeah. That's going to be nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, man, I think uh, I think we're good. Yeah, I wanted to thank everyone who is hanging out on the Patreon uh, Discord. God, I sound like a fucking grandpa. But yeah, thanks for supporting the show. I just created a new website called Patterns Tell Stories. It's at PatternsTellStories.com. It's uh, pretty cool. I put news there. I don't know. I deactivated my Twitter account for the foreseeable future, probably I'll probably reactivate it when I watch this episode, but um, check out the website. It's got all articles and episodes and uh, news and I'm putting more shit on there. Probably do like a resources kind of page. I got uh, transcripts of all the Tom DeLong interviews that I'll probably put up there at some point. But yeah, PatternsTellStories.com. And um, yeah, that's all I got right now. I'll probably start writing again soon at some point. Yeah, hopefully I have another article out in the next month or so. But yeah, that's all I got. What do you got? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I all wanted right. to thank everybody for the <laughs> Patreon. Uh, honestly, dude, just echoing the things you were saying. The, the website is fucking tremendous. Super proud of you for that, man. Thanks. Yeah, it was a pain in the ass, but it looks good. Everyone in Discord, tag Liberty Burb and everything you do so he can reply to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes and yeah that's uh that's about it for us this week and um yeah we'll see you again next week thanks for listening sweet thanks guys 